Hey everybody, it's Tug Coker and my wife, Catherine Weil Coker. I'm here. Yep, and we're here today making sure that you rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast, The Long Finish. We love hearing from you all. We love seeing your reviews. We love the fact that you subscribe to our show. So if you're able to keep doing that as we head into summer, it'd be awesome. It'd be so awesome. It'd be gruesome. I mean awesome. What's gruesome about it? It's an old family quote. Oh, is that right? Yeah. One time we went to a water park with my grandma and she got out of the car and she said, gruesome. I mean, awesome. Which grandma is this? Bo Peep. Bobo. So be like Bobo. Make this podcast gruesome. Rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We really appreciate it. We'd love to hear you out there and we'll keep making more for you. So that's it. On to the episode. Thanks so much. See you soon. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Wild Coker. How you doing tonight, Catherine? I'm great. How are you? All things considered, I'm good. Just say I'm great, you know? You know, it's like when you go into work and you're like, I'm okay. okay. You're like, oh God, why'd they say that? Now I have to ask them about it. Well, this is a podcast. This is like <laughs> this is the very literal definition of you saying, I'm not great, I'm just okay, and then we talk about it. No one no one's no one wants to listen to a podcast where it's like, How you doing? I'm great. I get what you're saying. But if why else are podcasts made for the one time in your life when you say, hey, how are you doing, bud? At the guy's cubicle and the guy's like, I'm not doing so well. You bring out the mics and you like tape it and you put it on a podcast. That's what podcasts are for. At the cubicle. At the cubicle. That's, that's right. our next. Yeah, that's right. Hey, you people out there are going to be eating and drinking in cubicles pretty soon oh my gosh not at esters no cubicle at esters it's gonna be fully but i've seen distanced. some crazy images of cubicles or you know whatever people are bubbles doing. whatever yeah, it yeah. is yeah i mean people the are plexiglass doing glasses i would like invest in that right now well let's talk about that in a second but let's uh, let's welcome everybody into the long finish this is episode 36 thanks to everybody for joining us on listening to the show i know these times out right now are just very thoughtful heartfelt times intense 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 Intense. and then you you know there may not be a lot of interest out there to be listening to podcasts so if you're listening to us today thank you for joining us we're excited to bring a little bit of relief and levity and fun to what are times that we hope we'll see some real change as i said last week we all support black lives matter we're here to support real change and we're doing whatever it takes to help the cause but our podcast is here for a little bit of fun a little bit of relief, a little bit of enjoyment, and an opportunity to talk wine. Some kids. And now, let's talk about this idea of what restaurants are going to look like in 2020. Oh, my gosh. 
Well, let me tell you this. Yeah, what, what are you hearing out there? What are the things that you've been t- discussing? Well, and I mean, I know people are investing crazy amounts of money in these, you know, plastic or clear glass or plexiglass or whatever they are, barriers between things all up in restaurants. You know, but my thing is like people are going to put up all these barriers and then in two weeks they're going to be like, well, the barriers are not sufficient. You know, COVID can penetrate or whatever. I don't know. Like people are just spending so much money trying to like make this work it's it's hard anyway i at it's troubleshooting, right we're, we're all just we're all we, just sort of troubleshooting we are but you have to just like take it one gut check at a time and when we were talking about esters like should we like offer bar seating and put up like plexiglass around the bar i was just like no no let's just have people sit outside and at the tables that feel like they're really spaced out inside and I don't want any glass up. Let's just like go with what we have. And maybe maybe I'll be laughing at that and change my mind in three months, you know. But for right now, I would like to keep it the pretty place that it is. There's going to be a lot of toggling going on. Oh, my goodness. You know, fluctuating what one does. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know there are some thoughts. We, we love the patio. You and I love the patio at Esther's. We love outdoor seating. We want it to feel very... European cosmopolitan and hopefully have you heard anything about maybe adding some seating on the sidewalks to Esther's or other places in the in the community well I know we get to add on in the driveway and Casilla is gonna do their whole parking lot I'm not exactly sure what the laws are for the actual sidewalk but I'm hoping that they will be really flexible with that and maybe it means no glass on the sidewalk and just a to-go cup or I'm not sure but I think that could be kind of a fun element. Amazing. If people for are us. like, you know, waiting to sit down and they want to stand in a like six foot chalk bubble on the sidewalk and like have a glass of wine. I feel like there's some fun to that. Will we, will we, will we be able to cross over through the breezeway and head into that little area where the, where the bikes are? I'm not sure. Also, I'm not sure. That'd be nice. It would be nice, but also wherever we make it, we need to like. I don't know. I want to make it like cute, you know, have like string lights I think that'd or be very plants cute when we do that. or, you know, like have some vibe going on. You can't just be like, I'm in a driveway. Like you want to have that. Ooh, I'm in a driveway with twinkly lights. We could 100% add Christmas lights over the breezeway area, which a breezeway yeah. is like a little no, driveway that's kind of separates no, the end are. of our. No, we are. Yes, 100%. It's already happening. Yes, who's doing it? Me. No, Saul. He's our handyman. Sa- He's the Sa- best. Saul's our guy. He is the best. Number one. All right. Well, that's part of the fun you, that we do know, at our house. We're, we're discussing what we're going to do with Esther's. Like, we're, we're people are making restaurants on the fly. I mean, you heard this. You heard it here first because Sia's basically making a restaurant out of their parking lot. Have we seen the end of valet for the time being? Do we see a return on the valet parking? Oh man, gosh, that's hard. We also Where are those I mean, people. You have to figure Uber. Right. I'm just asking you to guess. How are Uber and Valet going to do over the course of the next year? Oof. Not good, I don't think. I don't know the answer to that, but I know yeah. a friend texted me last night and said, "Yeah, I I have an aversion. I have an aversion to valeting. It's just something that where I feel like um Was that you texting yourself? I did. I texted myself <laughs> and I said, "You are so right all along." <laughs> No, he texted me and said, you were ahead of the time with valet. Because I like to say, like, that's $10 valet. Like, I could easily have bought an entree with that. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm... Entree? What restaurant are you at? Oh, yeah, exactly. Not an appetizer. I'm sorry. My an amuse-bouche. An amuse <laughs> it's more like like a bar snack. Yeah, seriously. 
but you know, I'm thrifty. So it's so everyone of my, on my friends knows, but I'm just curious to know where the valet will happen and how people will do, especially in LA, which is such a driving city. How will people handle Ubers and valet with the pandemic over the next year? I'm just curious. I don't, I don't know the answer. And go. I don't know. I mean, definitely. I think people will get more comfortable with Uber or maybe people will revert to taxis where there's like sometimes there's like that wall up, at least in New York. I mean, there's in New York, there's like plexiglass or a wall between the driver and the back seat. So, I mean, that's kind of separated. You're still like touching the seat of someone else, but I don't know. Gosh, that's a rabbit hole. I just don't want to go down. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, just get your bike Ma- out. Maybe the taxi. Just ride your bike. Maybe the taxi unions are sort of, you know, they've been working so hard to push Uber down, but maybe they're excited by the moment. Maybe they're like, this is our chance for us to kind of get a yeah, resurgence on the market. We have, you know, special cars. Yeah, we and clean they're this car. You're not going to touch this. us. We're not going to breathe on you. Right. I don't know, something to monitor. Maybe I'm just going to have a podcast just about like the transportation in LA over the next year. Wait, Super wow. hot. Is that a went well? <laughs> rude. Extremely rude. Anyway, so you're hearing it here first on how we're going to design a restaurant with the pandemic happening in 2020. Some interesting thoughts about Casilla. Would you say we're still figuring out what to do with Esther? Yeah, but it's, th- like, it's imminent. Like it's happening. We are figuring out the last details, but basically yeah and so I, and i just want to say thank you to everyone that has supported us through this and very unusual time We're, we'll be so excited i know how many people i mean we talked about this last thing the staff we didn't know whether people would want to come back and by and large everyone's champing at the bit to come back champing at the bit that's the correct usage of that term is it really yeah champing mm-hmm. and they announced the reopening of restaurants sooner than I thought they were going to. And there were some restaurants that opened the next day. And I I just don't know how they did that, how they could possibly be prepared to bring all those staff people in and have all the safety measures to open or even just a few days later. I mean, I'm just, I don't know. I haven't been to the restaurants, but I'm just totally, my mind is blown by that. But our, I just want to say, you know, like we took our time and we are taking our time because we want to be so, so thoughtful about it. We want to make make sure that it's extremely safe for our staff and extremely safe for the guests, for every single person involved and that we've really thought about it. We want to have like serious training for our staff so that they know what the flow is like so that they can confidently guide guests and help them have a great experience and feel so good that they chose to come out. I would hate to just pull something together. The other thing is you're asking your staff to come back and work in proximity to people. And so you want to have a really good plan and say, I want you to come back and here's why it's going to be great. You know, you don't want to come back, have them come back and be, I need you to come back because like we have to open, you know, that's not what they want to hear from me. Well, the podcast will be fun for the next few weeks because we'll be talking a lot about the- We'll let you know how it's going. We'll let you know how it's going. (laughs) Exactly. So stay tuned for that. But let's transition now to a topic that you're hearing a lot about during this delivery retail portion of the show, which is, can we find some light reds that are alternatives to Pinot Noir? I mean, people are asking for light reds. They have been, they always will be, but especially now in the early summer months. And 
We haven't even set the wine. We have not even set it yet. So what are we drinking tonight? Tonight, we are drinking Fazenda Pradio. It's the Tinto. It's... A uh, red wine from Spain. It's from Ribera Sacra. And this is vintage 2017. Lots to like about this wine. It's delicious. It's affordable. And it, it is fun because you and I know so many people love Pinot Noir. And this is an opportunity to find a wine that people that like Pinot Noir will also like. And because Pinot Noir is so popular, it also is expensive. And this is an opportunity to find things with real value, right? Pinot Noir is expensive. And it is for a few reasons. Because it's hard to grow. It has really thin skins. And it's kind of finicky. And it's not easy. And it's so popular. Everyone wants Pinot Noir. And they want it because it's so familiar. And they also want it because it has low tannin for the most part, unless you make it with a lot of oak and really robust. It has low, low tannin and it has nice acidity and it always has that cherry fruit and it always tastes like Pinot Noir. Good Pinot Noir. Tastes like Pinot Noir. But it's a light red. And the thing is, we just don't have a lot of other varietals that we know that are light reds. I mean, I do because that's my business. But in the everyday talk about wine, people aren't always like, oh, yeah, Pinot Noir or XYZ. There aren't a lot of other varietals that are just known that are light reds. Well, my whole thing at Esther's was to solve this problem by having a category called lovely light reds. I guess they don't all have to be lovely, but in my book, they're lovely and they're light. And so what is in that category? What red wines could go in that category that are perfect for warm weather, that don't have super heavy tannins, that are just like lovely light reds, as I said. So this fits perfectly. Now, this is 100% Mencia in the Fazenda Pradio. And we have had a Mencia before on the podcast. It was a rosé of Mencia. So we talked a little bit about the grape varietal, that it is a red grape from Spain. It's only seen in Spain and Portugal, Northwest Iberian Peninsula. And it can range. It can be light or it can be kind of medium and a little bit grippy. I would say this is light plus kind of what we're drinking tonight, but it doesn't have heavy tannins. Should we go ahead and taste this wine and talk a little about the wine and the winemaker and then maybe some other ideas for if you like Pinot Noirs, try these varietals. Sounds great. Let's do it. So first, looking at this, it is a deep color, completely opaque, a very, very deep ruby with a slight magenta rim. You might not guess that this is a light red if you're just looking at it because of how intense and deep the color is. There is a ton of pigment here. Let's swirl it. I see the legs coming down already. They're not super far apart and they're not super big so we know it's not crazy high alcohol let's take a look 12 percent, pretty low for a red all right put your nose in there Ooh, let's talk about fruit pomegranate blackberry like a red currant but then there's an intense floral note red flowers maybe hibiscus there's an herbaceous part of that floral to kind of stemmy green part, maybe like a black licorice. And then there's an insane minerality. 
just like crushed granite or gravel. And I always get this with Mencia, that gravel granite thing. Sometimes it's harder for me to get minerality with red wines. I see it, I think more, oh, they're just kind of earthy, but this feels so always, Mencia always feels really mineral to me, like the rocks are in it. Let's taste it. So much red fruit on the palate. Red, red currant, hibiscus, pomegranate kind of thing. Palm juice. I just think that. But there's great acidity. It's kind of high acid. Just a little bit of tannin, like enough to know it's there. There's no oak. It's really refreshing. And the body, it feels like it's going to have a fuller body at the beginning than it does. It really washes away quite quickly. I would say it's like still pretty light body. It feels plush in your mouth at first, but it all goes away with that acid. And it's really quite a light wine. But the red fruit has intensity and that's what kind of persists. It's really different. Gosh, I just think pomegranate and hibiscus. That's kind of all I can think about. Yeah, you turned me on a palm juice. Yeah. You said that. Palm like, juice, oh, yeah, that's wow. a wine. Like light bulb, yeah. No, you, it, it is, right? I know I'm not supposed to talk about, talk about food pairing yet, but like this really makes me think of barbecue because you could have something on the grill that's kind of like smoky, and this is just like red fruit and flowers I mean, and bright. Talk about a, a red wine that's built for summer. I mean, yeah. a light red that is perfect for barbecue. That sounds like banger right there. Now, you could chill this, but I wouldn't. I think it's really nice. I mean, I wouldn't drink it warm, obviously, but just kind of at the, quote, cellar temp would be great. Don't leave it in your trunk all day. Yeah. That's good advice. Thank you. For any wine drinker at any time. What's nice about this is that it has plush fruit. Even though it's a light red, it has plush fruit. Do you have any thoughts on the or notes on the winemaker? Yes. Zavi Suanez, he's farming his family fruit, what his father was farming, and he's farming biodynamically in Ribera Sacra. He doesn't really believe any of the um, Appalachian rules, the DO laws, so he declassifies his wine. It's just sort of like Spanish wine. It's not under the Appalachian, but I always kind of like those people that want to say they don't want to follow the rules and they make great wine. It's the best. So in Ribera Sacra, his vines are all on a hillside overlooking the Mino River. Super windy. Mencia does amazing, like in this mountainous, like higher altitude terrain. And he's grafted over some of the vines to like older, more typical varietals to the area. But Mencia has been there for a long time. It's kind of a tried and true grape variety there. This is very much a natural wine. Minimal sulfur, minimal filtration. It's all in stainless steel. And as I said, it's biodynamically farmed. So it's just like fresh, easy Mencia. Now there is Mencia that has some oak on it that can have more body and be more robust than this. And there's other Mencia that acidity is so much sharper than this. It kind of has a range. And we've had rosé from Mencia uh, on a previous episode. So it has some variety to it. But I would say all the descriptors we said in the tasting are 100% classic for Mencia. But thinking about this is a great light bodied red and there are so many others that are in our category at Esters. Things like Gamay from native to France but also you can see in 
other places like the United States. Um, Schiava from Italy. Valdighi, which we've had on the episode as well from California. We had it around Thanksgiving, I yeah. think it was. Yeah. Trapot. I'm not sure if we've had that on the podcast, but that's native to Spain, North East Spain, Conca de Barbara, um, near Penedes, near like the predominantly Cava region. And then wines from Sicily, Norello Mascalese, which can be really robust, but is often really light and can be kind of like a Pinot Noir alternative. That's in that section as well. There are other grapes too, but those are the main ones that I think of that are just like light and not heavy tannin and amazing for summer. So what we'll do is put on our Instagram maybe a little list that says, if you like Pinot Noir, try, try these, these yeah. um, varietals, which I think is always good for me. It's like it's like a nice little index card to have when you're out at a restaurant or at a retail store and say, oh, I want to try this. And there are some versions of Nebbiolo that would work as well. Sometimes it can be so intense and tannic, but like fresher styles of Nebbiolo could end up in that category. At Milo and Olive, the pizzeria in our Rustic Canyon family, when I first designed the list, the wine list there, the lighter red category was called If You Like Pinot Noir. And I often had a Nebbiolo in there that was like a lighter, fresher style for pizza. And then sometimes there was like a Barolo or something more intense farther down the list. But Nebbiolo works too sometimes. So I usually get one technical question in an episode. I'm going to use this on one uh, about a word you said earlier, which is grafting. Can you explain to the audience what grafting means? Well, it is quite technical. It's basically taking one kind of grape variety and keeping the root, the root that is in the ground, the stalk that is in the ground, and taking another variety and inserting that shoot onto the root of the variety that's already in the ground. So it's kind of like a transplant. You've got your root that's already there and you're transplanting a different variety and attaching it onto that root so a new grape variety can grow and sometimes you do that because the roots are very strong in the ground and very old and traditionally we've gone into grafting because of phylloxera phylloxera if you haven't heard of it you will now is basically a microscopic louse or an aphid that ate through all the vines of europe in the late 1800s like Oh, I don't know, like 75% or way more of all the vines up to the 1900s in the United States and just went nuts. And basically this little louse just eats on root vines and vines and destroys them and there is no cure whatsoever. But they figured out, wow, the American vines are resistant to this louse, but the European vines, Vitis vinifera, are not. So let's use the American roots and let's use the Vitis vinifera, the Europe part on the top. Does that make sense? It does. It's interesting. So we'll have the American rootstock and then we'll graft on the Vitis vinifera, which is the finer grape varietals that make the wines we know and love on top. Now, there are American rootstocks and American grape varieties that produce good wines, but not as many as Vitis vinifera, the European. There are many more in Vitis vinifera. And that's our real technical moment of the show. And that is grafting. Both grafting and phylloxera 
are very interesting words and ideas that have been used a couple times on the show. Phylloxera, I know I have. I have not asked, even though I heard it, you say it. It's important for people who want to know more about wine to understand what that is. Well, you just hear that word drop a lot. Yeah, for sure. You know, like, oh, that's what that is. So tonight we've given you a couple great alternatives to Pinot Noir. Great for the summertime. You mentioned this wine that we're having tonight being great with barbecue. Any other food pairings that you're thinking of for the wine that we're having tonight in particular? Well, you have made Ina Garten's roast pork tenderloin recently, and I think this would just be fantastic with that. It's a great, easy recipe for anybody out there who likes pork tenderloin. It's very complicated, guys. It takes you many days. Well, it does what, what take I, many what days I do... if your 18-month-old spills the <laughs> marinade. That's but... true. <laughs> That's true. I was very upset when I work hard oh, to... Oh, that was Listen, bad. Yeah, I, I shout out to the chefs who dice and do whatever to thyme and rosemary. You work hard and have your kid come and grab it and throw it on, the, throw it on themselves. Oh, that was brutal. Not the best, but it's a great recipe. And this wine would be awesome with it. I agree. What else? A Reuben, just a great kind of roast beef sandwich would be awesome with this. Some kind of like lighter outdoor picnic fare, charcuterie, a charcuterie platter would be so great with this. Any kind of like herbs and spices, so heavily herbed things would be fun. You mentioned charcuterie. Do we have this wine currently at Esther's? We do. So if you're in the area and you want to come get a bottle of wine for delivery or retail or maybe even try to venture in and see these new arrangements we have at Esther's, come in and grab this wine. But if you're not in the area and you're looking to get this wine or something similar, how would you help steer our audience to their local wine store to find a wine similar to this? Well, lighter reds is a great category to ask for. I like a light red that's not Pinot Noir. And hopefully you can pull from that list that we mentioned. But Mencia, many wine stores should have heard of that. It is a pretty predominant grape in Spain. So I'd have no problem asking for that. You could also ask for a red wine from Northwest Spain or Bierzo or Ribera Sacra. Maybe that get you somewhere. All right, so there you go. Light reds. Wines for the summer. Some great thoughts. If you like Pinot Noir, try these. So we'll put this wine on Instagram and some other ideas as well. And if you have any thoughts about uh, some other wines you want to figure out from your local wine store, feel free to hit us up at The Long Finish on Instagram. And we'll be sure to have Catherine weigh in. Okay, now we come to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. And we're going to do something new here. We're going to tag team an inspiration, and then Catherine's going to throw on one more. But about a week or two ago, I learned of a farm that it was run in an area not far from where I grew up. And it's run by a black farmer named Chris Newman. And the farm's name is Sylvan Aqua Farm. And his Instagram is fantastic. I've learned so much about racial inequality, how racial inequality and white supremacy seeps into and is a part of farming and the way people eat food. He's just very, very good with words. And I've read several of his essays um, on Medium. I've listened to some of his podcasts. I've really gone down the rabbit hole. Yeah, I mean, I had to too. It's Um, been fabulous. Just a great follow. Now, he tells you what he thinks and, and what he feels. And, and I've just learned a lot from him in the, the short time that I've even known that this person exists. But what's exciting to me and inspiring to me is the way in which he speaks about the white supremacy issues in farming. He talks about something that I know you're passionate about, Catherine, which is regenerative farming. Yes, he 
he farms regeneratively, but he talks about the problems of racism within the regenerative agriculture movement, which is fascinating, and that it's not really giving credit to the people who walked this land and cared for this land long before the white people were here the indigenous people. It's absolutely incredible the way he breaks it down. And his farm is regenerative and he has lots of ideas about that and wants to make it not something just for privileged white people, but something democratic that lots of people can participate in. I I was super inspired by him. And, and there's a great, another great podcast that he was on. I think it's called Positively Green. Yeah, we want to shout out the Positively Green podcast. Uh, great podcast. Two women in Wisconsin. One's a farmer. One's kind of into sustainable, low-waste living. And um, they interviewed him last week, I believe. Fantastic interview. Definitely check that out. Yep, it's the season two, episode eight of the Positively Green podcast. The guy is just very, very thoughtful and intelligent and knows a lot about all the things I think that you and I are passionate about, passionate about what needs to change in the world. And one of the things that's very important to me is that he's doing it in an area in which I grew up, not far from Fredericksburg, Virginia. And he feeds a lot of people in Richmond and Charlottesville and DC. And he has dreams and visions and, and desires. And I'd like to help find a way for the Fredericksburg community to support this farmer to help find ways to feed more people and everyone his ideas should be heard and that's all we're trying to do with this podcast is to amplify his thoughts and his visions and look for ways to to make this happen so but don't don't take it from us go read his stuff because he's about a bajillion times more articulate than we are all the essays just the website of the farm sylvan aqua farms website is fantastic because right up front he tells you what his mission is what he's set out to do and then at the bottom you can scroll to see essays that he's written for or different agricultural magazines or on Medium, his inspirations, where the farmer's markets where he is, where to find his food. It's a great website. If you're not on social media, that's a fantastic place to go. Sylvanaqua.com. I turned to Catherine the other night after reading several of his articles. I think this guy's a superstar for farming and for racial You know equality. that got me excited. Yeah. Because I love farmers. Yeah, I got you pumped up. But this guy, this guy's I'm really impressed. And I look forward to hopefully meeting him someday and figuring out ways to help him and the community surrounding his farm. So that's my inspiration. It's our co-inspiration. I know. I had to jump on your train. Of course. Of course. It's too inspiring for one person. No, we're both very inspired. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Catherine, I believe you have one more for us. What else do you have tonight? Well, I have been inspired by lots of black voices in the wine industry over time, but specifically the last week when they've been amplified. And one of my favorites that I have been following for, I don't know, probably a year and a half, ever since Marissa Ross wrote this fantastic article about her, Krista Scruggs of Zaffa Wines Farm and Winery in Vermont. You cannot even get these wines in Los Angeles because they sell out in Vermont. The last time they were available in LA was two years ago. So sad because people just eat them up and buy them up. And I am so excited about wines from Vermont. I think they're interesting and different and wild and cool. And I am so excited about Krista because she is just absolutely full of life and so passionate and gung-ho. She's a spirit, a spirit to follow, like such uh, an inspired winemaker. And uh, if you're on the East Coast or really anywhere, you could probably go to their website 
Zaffa Wines and get on their mailing list and try and get some of the wines because we couldn't possibly get them here for any retail shop. But I think that's even better. That's such a great thing to know is like, obviously, you know, I want to sell wine at Esther's because that's our shop. But especially during these hard times, one great thing if you find a wine you love is to go to the winemaker's website, particularly if they're in the United States, and just order the wine directly. And that helps them and that helps you and just make it a little bit easier. I'm not sure you can do that for wines from Italy, but Anyway, Krista Scruggs of Zaffa Wines is really a great voice to follow. We'll make sure to showcase these in our Instagram and let you know some other places that we've been inspired by as we learn about them over the past couple weeks. All right, that's it. Episode 36 of The Long Finish is in the books. Thanks to everyone for continuing to listen to our show. If you have an opportunity to rate, review, and subscribe to the show, you know this. It would mean a lot to us. It's helpful to know who's out there listening and what you like about the show. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Weil Coker on Instagram and Catherine Weil Coker on Facebook. And you can find The Long Finish at The Long Finish on Instagram and The Long Finish on Facebook. You can find The Long Finish on Twitter at TLF Pod, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Thanks again for listening to the show. We should be back next week with an all new episode. Hopefully, new episodes throughout the summer and into the fall. With a lot of great wines to introduce you to, and for us to drink on our couch because this has been a year where we need some wines to enjoy. What a year we picked to do a podcast. I know. Should be fun. We're going to learn a lot about Esther's next I few know. weeks, and hopefully, the world continues to see some progress and some change. So, thanks again for listening. Go out there, have a great week. Practice safe distancing. Be healthy, be happy, and happy drinking. Ciao.